Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you to look out and see so many guests and uh, those who have come for the, uh, the Boyce event. Look forward to spending time with you over the course of the next couple of days. Uh, it is good to be back in Louisville, Kentucky. It is good to be here in worship with the Boyce College Southern Seminary family. Uh, you know, part of uh, how the Lord is blessed and how the Lord has changed us is that even though we have about 6,600 students uh, and uh, we have a very full campus, uh, the reality is that at any given time we get to see just a small portion of our student body. And uh, I will tell you the Lord's blessing is in that. It is, that we have students. I was in California. We have, you know, California is now in the top five states from which students come for both the seminary and the college. That's a magnificent thing. Uh, but there's still the fatherly part of me that wants to see everybody in one room at one time. And uh, that part of me is only going to be satisfied in the kingdom of Christ. Uh, when we're going to have everybody all together at one time. Uh, we, we get some remarkable experiences here, uh, just week by week and uh, service by service. At the end of every semester and at the beginning of every semester, uh, there's something pretty majestic. We have the opening convocation, and that's a formal academic event and a Christian service of worship. And everybody gets dressed up. You have all the faculty in their regalia and... Uh, that, that's when we just kind of come together before God to say, we want to start this term right. Uh, we're going to start it with the preaching of the word of God, with the worship of Christ's people gathered together and consecrate ourselves before God for this service. And then at the end of every term is graduation and commencement. And uh, that is the event for which I was not prepared uh, emotionally as president. Uh, and now having presided over dozens and dozens of them, uh, I will just tell you it's the most emotional event you could imagine because all these graduates are together in one place and wherever we are in here for a December or out on the lawn with thousands in the spring, it's a gathering together of servants of Christ who are being sent out and they're together one time. You get, you get one photo and, and then they go out to the ends of the earth, which is why we're here. It, it's one of those moments when you go, the Lord gives us the opportunity to be a part of this and to see this and to see these students together, but we'll, we'll never have them together like this again. And it happens every term. And I just want you to know that makes me very happy. Every once in a while, I just contemplate what the Lord does in bringing so many incredible young people to this campus to study at every level. And uh, the inside word you need from the faculty is that the faculty grows to love these students. And uh, just about the time we think they're gonna be here forever, they leave, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And they often leave differently than they came. Now, I mean, hopefully, better educated. <laughs> hopefully, they leave with a lot. They often leave, uh, you know, with more. They leave with spouses. And uh, one of the most glorious things is they leave with children. 
And all this is a part of the economy of God's pleasure and the display of God's glory. So I just wanted to tell you, it makes me happy. It makes me happy to see you this morning. It makes me happy to be here. It makes me happy to uh, be led in worship by the Boys Collective. Uh, makes me happy to be able to turn to God's word together. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter nine. Okay, so this is going to be a little different. A little different. Twice in my expository ministry, I've preached through the entirety of the gospel of John. It has been a multi-year process each time. Now, what changed between the two sequences of my expositions of John was not the text, but the preacher. There was a younger preacher who preached all through the gospel of John in about three years. And then there was an older preacher who preached all the way through the gospel of John in about two to three years. Again, the text didn't change, but the preacher did. I just want to say this, a part of what changed in the preacher is an understanding of the power of the word of God to preach itself. I don't hear many preachers talk about this, but I want us to think about it theoretically for just a moment before we turn to it actually in this text. We often think of a text that is here to be preached. It's not exactly wrong. But I think we need to consider the text as the living word of God, which will preach itself first. And then we kind of come behind to preach in the aftermath of the word preaching itself. Now, I'm going to read the entirety of John chapter 9. And I just want to test the theory with you. Does not the word preach itself? The fourth gospel, the ninth chapter. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. 
No, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Oh my goodness. How do you handle a text like that? Did, did, did you feel it? Did you see the shifts that took place? There's a guy who's blind that into the passage sees everything. And there are people in the beginning who seem to have good eyes who at the end of the passage see absolutely nothing. And it all begins with the disciples not looking too good either. Notice verse one. 
As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So what are his disciples going to do? These are Jesus' disciples after all. A man obviously blind and probably there on the way to the temple just in order to be seen for almsgiving. Being blind in the ancient world in this time was a particularly vulnerable position. You were considered absolutely worthless in the world of work. You were absolutely dependent. And furthermore, there was the theological problem, which was endemic to first century Judaism, of wanting a sin answer for every problem like this. If a man's blind, who sinned? If a woman's barren, what was her sin? If someone has a deformity, who sinned? And the disciples show the, the, the deformity of that theology. Now, just remember, according to the biblical worldview, is every bad thing attributable to sin? Yes, yes. Who sinned? First of all, Adam's sin. The Bible warns us, as Jesus here will teach his disciples, you cannot look in every case for any kind of proximate sin, and you'll end up sinning by looking for proximate sin. You'll bear false witness against God. By the way, the sovereignty of God comes out in this passage. There's so much here, just as we begin, his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's the extent of their imagination. If this man's blind, then God made him blind. Did God make him blind as a result of his own sin and guilt? or of his parents' sin and guilt. Well, this was a problem in the first century Judaism, we know because we see it elsewhere in, in terms of, uh, of speculation. But you'll notice that how warping this kind of question is. For one thing, we're talking about someone born blind. We're not talking about someone who robbed the bank of Judea and then was struck blind. We're talking about someone born blind. So in what sense does it make to talk about his sin? But in that same logic, then that gets pressed back on his parents. It must have been their sin. So the disciples are asking what they see as a theological question, but we need to notice how the text begins. We're told, as he passed by, he saw a man. Now here's a warning to all of us. Jesus sees the man Sometimes Jesus' followers are tempted to see a question, a conundrum. I think we need to be instructed by that. Jesus sees the humanity of the man. The disciples want to ask a theological question about him, and for that matter, not a very good question. Jesus answered them, by the way. Nonetheless, they ask a bad question, but he gives them an answer. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no man or no one can work. Now, we're going to go further there, but just notice Jesus says, look, okay, I am the light of the world, he's about to say. But he said, it isn't this man's sin nor his parents, but that the works of God might be fulfilled in him. Jesus says, this man was born blind, and that was determined before the foundation of the earth. And his blindness is so that I can heal him and show the works of God. Now, the Jehanine theology here is so very important because remember, it begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the word was God. All things were made through him. This is he who made all things. He made the earth. He made the cosmos. He made this man. And, and his, his identity as creator is going to be revealed in this passage by the fact that he's going to take the stuff, the most basic stuff of creation, which is mud, and he's going to spit on it and make dirt into a paste. And he's going to put it on these man's eyes. He made the dirt. He made the man. This is from the beginning of all time, before the creation of the world, it was determined that this man blind in this space would be here when we would pass, dear disciples. And I'm going to work the works of him who sent me while it is day. You notice the night-day contrast. The night is coming when no one can work. It's a good exhortation to the Christian church right now. It's a good exhortation to us. We must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. There's a day of eternal rest coming. We're not there. There is a kingdom in which every eye will be dry and every tear will be wiped away. We're not there. We're given some daylight in which to work. For night is coming when no one can work. But Jesus didn't just answer the disciples in terms of theological correction. He didn't just speak in terms of, of redefining the, the equation in terms of this man born blind. No, when he said we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no man can work, that's all a way of getting to the healing of the man, giving him his sight. In one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John, so deservedly famous, he says, I am the light of the world. What does the light of the world do in confronting blindness? The light of the world brings sight. That's exactly what happens. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, now there's a formula here in the text. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear the formula. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And here's the formula. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. He went and he washed. And he came back seeing. That, that, that sequence will turn out to be important because it's repeated later in the text. The, the man born blind who now sees, he sees because of a sequence of obedience where he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now, you, now you'll, you'll notice that he, he didn't go and wash and heal his eyes. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. Isn't that amazing? First of all, it's absolutely true. But we need every part of that in order to understand what happened. We can't have any less than this. We need all of went and washed and came back seeing. On the other hand, it's extremely simple. 
right? This is the sequence. You got to get the sequence right. Went, obedience, and, and again in obedience, washed, and how would you describe it? How would, honestly, think about it. You've been blind your whole life. You've never seen a thing. And now you see, and the best way to put it is I went and I washed and came back seeing. Hold that. The scene shifts, and it's going to shift so many times in this passage. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar. Now, now I want you to notice something. Notice how John is playing with the word see, because he's going to play with it this entire chapter. Okay, so here's a little clue up front. Those who see, don't see. Those who don't see, see. All right? Just the way it is. Just watch the judgment in this passage. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Now, I want you to notice something. There's so much that's embedded in this passage. You'll notice they're not completely sure. Have you ever noticed how much people who see miss? No, because we don't notice what we miss. What do we miss? Evidently, most things. And furthermore, we don't see what we think we see. This is a particular indictment when it comes to human beings. Because we like to think we, we, we see the image of God just right before us. But you know what? We have, a, we have a habit of not seeing. And that becomes very evident when the man comes back, went and washed and came back seeing. And, and, and now that he's back... The people who passed him every day and had their sight, they aren't sure about what they're seeing. Is this the guy? Well, you know, he looks like him. I mean, that blind guy looks something like that. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he, others said nobody's like him. What does like him mean? There are so many stupid statements in this passage. No, he's sort of like the blind guy, okay? It's a trick, it's a trick. He kept saying, I am the man. Now, you would think first-person testimony like, I am the man, would be pretty much a clincher. Not with this crowd. So they said to him, so they're going to interrogate him. That's what you do, right? When someone's healed, you interrogate them. How in the world this happened? We need answers. Blind people just don't say. You better have a good reason for this. If you really are that blind guy, we think you were that blind guy. You look like the blind guy. If you are that blind guy and you're seeing now, we need a very good explanation. How did this happen? He answered, now notice how he answers and notice this formula I mentioned. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. I went and I washed and I received my sight. Simple, right? Right. It's easy to understand. There are just three statements. Went, washed, came back seeing, went, washed, received my sight. They're not done. They're not close to done. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. 
Okay, just watch the flips back and forth. If this, if, this, if this was just nothing more than the transcript, it would be fascinating to us to understand how this thing keeps flipping back and forth. I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Is this the man? I don't know. Looks like him. Are you the man? I am the man. How do you know? I am he. I know. It's a ridiculous thing. And then they talk about Jesus and they said, where is he? Like this, like they're interrogating the blind man, like saying, how dare this man heal you? Produce him. Where is he? He goes, I, I don't know. Okay. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. That sentence itself. You know, what do you call a guy who was blind and now sees? The formerly blind. It's an entire category. The man who was formerly blind. And they bring him to the Pharisees because after all, let's bring him to the interrogators in order to find out if they can get to the bottom of this. By the way, the bottom of this is I went and I washed and I received my sight, okay? They brought him to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. This is, a, again, where Jesus will elsewhere make very clear that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What man among you, Jesus asks, who has a ox that falls into a ditch would not pull it out on the Sabbath day? Of how much more value then is a man I think the animal was a sheep, then a sheep. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, okay, will you please take out your notebooks this time? And you flip on your audio recorder, I'm getting a horse. How did this happen? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees are outraged about this. And speaking of Jesus, they say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others, so you'll notice that there's a little crack in the solidarity of the Pharisees here because some of them are figuring out the same logic that Jesus reveals in the Gospel of Matthew. Some of the others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? I mean, the miracle, I mean, hey boys, we got a hard time explaining this, let's face it. I mean, Pharisee to Pharisee, this is an awkward position. Because some of you are, and I understand the point, I understand the point. You're arguing that he's not a Sabbath keeper, he's a Sabbath breaker, therefore he's not from God. But on the other hand, we, we seem to have a man who is blind who now sees, and that seems to be a problem in our theory. And there was a division among them. So they, and so what happens after the division? So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? So again, they're going to interrogate the man who was blind and now sees. They don't get what they want, so they just press in harder. So what do you say about him? Is he a Sabbath breaker? Is he from God? What do you say about him? This is a blind man. Everybody passed him on the way to the temple. No one cared anything about what he said. They never wanted to meet eyes. They never really wanted to look at him. They never looked at him seriously enough to be certain he's actually the same man. What do you say about him? This is, this is fairly ridiculous. They're asking a blind man who is unlettered in the scriptures, who has been passed by as everyone else was on their way to the temple. And now they're asking him, hey, 
Give us a theological definition of this man. He's got one. He said, he's a prophet. Boom. That's not a compliment. That is not a compliment. He's saying, this man is God's messenger. This man is sent from God. This isn't a mild statement. This is a blasphemous statement if it is wrong. And he knows he's talking to Pharisees who love to find people wrong. He's a prophet. And notice the text. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. Okay, good, good. We're back to this. Good grief. Good grief. Notice what it says here. The, the, the Jews, speaking of the, of the crowd, they didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? All I can say is, hug your mom and dad and be thankful you don't have these two. Two of the worst parents to show up in all of Scripture. They are cowards and doofuses. This is like a Coen Brothers movie going off on a tangent. And, and notice the, how John is so careful with the text. Is this your son who you say was born blind? Who says your son is born blind? I mean, is that a common thing? No, especially when the logical question, remember how this text began? The logical question is who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Parents didn't go around claiming that sighted children were blind. This son of yours who you, you say was born blind. And then they interrogate the parents. They've interrogated the man. They've interrogated each other, basically. And now they say, how then does he now see? His parents answered, this is, this is, this is where you're going to put him in the parents' hall of infamy. His parents said, we know that this is our son, good so far. And that he was born blind, true so far. But how he now sees, we don't know. No, and, and notice they go on and ask, they answer a question they haven't been asked yet. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Don't ask, we're gonna tell you right up front, we have no idea who did this. Whatever vast criminal conspiracy and criminal mastermind healed our son, we know nothing of him. I know nothing. Okay, they go on. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. Here's, here's where they really, really turn out to be horrible. He, he's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And the explanation is in verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. 
Again, just be thankful every Mother's Day and Father's Day that these are not your parents. Be thankful right this minute. But also notice the conventional warped theology of the first century and notice, notice the intensity, and this is what's key in the Gospel of John, notice the intensity of the opposition to Jesus. This already reached such a fever pitch that the Pharisees and the Jewish authorities are gonna kick out of the synagogue anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so that, that, that's key because it's another one of the keys in the Gospel of John that is often the enemies of Jesus who are the occasion for making very clear exactly who he is. They're gonna kick anyone out of the synagogue who confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And then this turns into absolute farce. And boy, is it important. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the blind man who basically went and washed and received his sight, he now turns into a theological paragon. He is now the center of theological gravity. Because his testimony turns out to be the most true thing. I went and I washed and I received my sight. He's a man who heard nothing, was taught nothing, knew nothing, seen nothing, and now he sees everything. Notice, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. I know that, okay? I can tell you bozos this. I was blind, now I see. You explain that. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now remember, he's already told him, he's already told him specifically. He's frustrated too. You begin to sense that now. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Now notice, he's on to him. Okay, this guy who was blind, saw nothing, now sees everything and he sees the Pharisees for who they are and he's taunting them. That's what he's doing, he's, he's taunting them. I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you wanna hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Whoa. Oh man. Oh, this guy has got courage. His parents may be, you know, two of the least courageous people and anywhere to be found in scripture. But he, having been blind, now seeing in a matter of just a slight portion of a day has gone from a blind guy outside the temple to the smartest man in the room. Not a room, smartest man in the scene. Not only that, he's got, he's got courage. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Okay, first of all, this guy is now called a disciple of Jesus. He doesn't even know what he looks like. He hasn't yet seen Jesus. Jesus saw him. We're not believers because we saw Jesus. We're believers because Jesus saw us. 
And then how do we become his disciples? Well, in this case, it's simply because you are one. It's not wrong. And by the way, at this point, one of the strange means of grace has been the Pharisees to make this man a disciple. You know, you boys have made me a disciple. All right. You'll notice the theological segue here. This is what the Pharisees do. We know Moses. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Now, remember, I said to watch in John chapter 9. Watch the we know, we don't know. We know this, but we don't know that. They said, we don't know where he comes from. And then the man, here's his courage again. Verse 30, he answered, why, this is an amazing thing. Okay? You experts, you Pharisees, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Now notice, he keeps talking, okay? This is a blind man. He knows nothing, right? He's walked by on the way to the temple. He's not heard the teaching and preaching of the word of God. He just picks up on what he hears in conversation. But boy, does he weave it together. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It's simple. Never before in the history of the world has it been known that a man born blind sees, and I see, and I see you idiots. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? Oh, they got schooled. And they cast him out. Okay, just pause for a moment. Let's just say, we've got to keep our eyes on this blind man who now sees. We've got to keep our eyes on him for a moment because the disciples and Jesus passed by the disciples see him. They see a theological question. Jesus sees a man. They ask the theological question. Jesus answers it. Makes clear that this man's existence is so that the works of God might be revealed in him. And the works of God are now revealed in him. And then we get the sequence of confrontations. And what becomes very clear is that this man wasn't just given his sight. He was given sight. He wasn't just given the ability to see. He's given the ability to see Jesus. And I don't mean yet in the flesh. That's about to happen. In, in one sense, let's just go no further in this text before recognizing this is a picture of conversion, period. This is a picture of what it means to be illumined, for our eyes to be opened to see, because it's not just a matter of historic hymnody that we say and sing, once I was blind and now I see. It's not just this man's story. It's every believer's story. You were born in sin and you would teach us? Just happened, boys. And remember that they had threatened to cast out anyone who confessed that Jesus is the Christ. That's not exactly what he said. You know, he's a prophet, but he is standing with Jesus. He doesn't even, you know, they cast him out. All right, there's just a little bit more to the passage. Turns out to be stunningly important. 
Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I've sometimes honestly come to a text and I find it difficult to read. It's kind of difficult for the words to tumble out because the, the power is just so strong. What's this man been through just in the last couple of hours? And now he's confronted by God in human flesh. And Jesus doesn't say something like, hey, I heard that thing with the Pharisees is kind of rough. By the way, I'm glad to see you now. No, it's not, not that. Do you believe in the Son of Man, the promised one, Messiah? Notice how the blind man who now sees responds. He he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now, what did he say of Jesus? What did he say of Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? He said he is a prophet. The man born blind who now sees facing Jesus and being asked by Jesus, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's going to believe that the Son of Man is whoever Jesus says he is because he has come to know that Jesus is a prophet. But Jesus is telling him, I am not merely a prophet. Jesus said to him, of the Son of Man, he says to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. Notice the tense. You have seen him. When did the blind man see the Son of Man? When he went and he washed. And he came back seeing. He had not yet seen him with the eyes of the flesh, but he obeyed him. How do we know that this man saw Jesus, the Son of Man? It is because when the Son of Man spit on the dirt and made mud and put it on his eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Again, to me, it's just an incredible picture of conversion. How much does a new believer know? How much does a new believer have to know? He has to know that Jesus is the son of God who saves us from our sins. The believer needs to know, that convert needs to know of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins as the very son of God and being raised on the third day by the power of God. But, you know, the experience of the new believer is in 
being blind and now seeing. And being blind and now seeing, what does seeing mean? It means he sees everything revealed to him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, notice these words. This is how the passage ends. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Were you expecting that? I just want to ask you honestly. When Jesus said, oh, this is why I came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says, oh, you're going to ask me why I came? I came in order that the blind may see, but I also came in order that those who see may be blind. It all comes down to whether you see Jesus as the son of man, the son of God, the Messiah, because hell is going to be filled with people who had perfectly good earthly eyes and wouldn't see. Jesus says, if you won't see, then guess what? Here's my verdict, you won't see. Salvation is those who are blind and now see. So the Pharisees have to come back into the picture and they do in order to make the point some of the Pharisees heard him say these things. Say what? I came into the world in order that the blind may see and those who see may be made blind. Some of the Pharisees heard that and they said to them, by the way, there are just certain questions. The Gospel of John is so clear about this. There are certain questions you shouldn't ask. Like, am I stupid? <laughs> you know, just don't ask the question. Notice what the Pharisees say. Are we also blind? Okay, now... Clearly, they understand this spiritually. They do. They do. At least some. And again, the Gospel of John helps us to understand Nicodemus and others. There were, there were some among the Pharisees who are, the, it's cracking. Are we also blind? And then notice what Jesus says. These are the last words of this passage. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Well, I do believe that the text preached itself. Like even, I think you got, we received, dare I say we saw the passage preached as the passage preached itself. The preacher's test sometimes is to come back after the text preaches itself and say, what in the world just happened here? What in the world just happened in this passage? What in the world just happened in our reading of this text together? There's not even time, and frankly, there's not even a need for a summary. Let's just say, at the end of this passage, by God's grace, may we be found among those who see and not among those who are blind and becoming only more blind. And may we thank God for the salvation that has come to us through Jesus Christ. 
And may we find a way to say, this is what he did to me. I went and I washed and I came back seeing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, so much for allowing us to see. Father, it's all of grace. May we see more and more. And by our witness, may there be others who by your power, though blind, now see. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.